Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode four of the Blazer Banter with Eric Foster and Bridget Quinlivan, both of John Wick Community College. Uh, welcome back. We are happy to be gracing you with our voices again. And the topic of today is transferring from a community college to a four-year, which you and your job in Trio, uh, that's, a, that's a pretty big part of that. That's a huge chunk of what we do, and that's actually how one of the ways that we get paid is yeah. to get students transferred. Yeah, so this is, I think, a super important conversation that we're having today, and you know, there's going to be a lot more past just this conversation on the podcast. There's going to be an event, I think, in October that we even have something planned with, with our advising office in conjunction with myself and Trio as well to, to make sure that we're helping students be prepared for. I think that is actually October 7th. Again, as you, the listener, if you're in the position of, again, wherever you're at, if you're currently at a community college and, and you're wanting to start thinking about transferring, again, we're talking to transfer students. For those students that are in career and technical degrees, we're going to focus on that in a different podcast because that's a huge job market and a huge chunk of our students as well. Back to what I was saying, if you're a high school student trying to figure out uh, what your next step is in secondary education, you know, if that's a community college, if that's a university, if that's a trade school, we're going to try to talk you through some of those pieces transferring from a community college to a four-year. And, and we have our director of advising and retention, Andy Hapakati, who's going to join us here a bit later on. Uh, and he's going to talk us through that. You know, he works a lot with four-year institutions to make sure that students are taking the right classes here at John Wood to make sure that they transfer correctly and set them up for success in their four-year. And I know TRIO does the same thing. We do. And I would say, actually, we're seeing right now, given the times that we are in, quote unquote, we are actually seeing folks from four years come back to community college or switch or transfer to a four year that's maybe a little closer to home just because of the situation and maybe you don't want to be you know five eight hours away from your people i think even if you're not plan if you're listening and you're not planning to transfer from a community college to a four year i think there's still some good information just some tips and tricks about really any transition that you see coming up it's an important conversation to have, and I'm glad that we're having it early enough here in, in September, knowing that that transfer is probably not happening for another six or seven months, uh, but decisions need to start happening. So, Bridget, do you want to talk us through kind of what a timeline should be like for, you know, if, if our listener is a sophomore sitting there going, oh my gosh, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm about to finish up my degree at John Wood. I'm going to go get my four-year degree. What the heck do I need to do? Take a deep breath, first of all. And I always tell my students kind of three dates to keep in mind. The first is October 1st, and that's because that's when FAFSA opens up. And that's the free application for student aid. That is your financial aid application free on the internet, and it opens up October 1st. And you want to fill that out as early as possible to give yourself the best chance for the most financial aid. Also with the FAFSA, you, you want to make sure that you list every possible school that you think you might be going to. I think online, the first time through, you can add 10 schools. And then if you change your mind, you can always go back and add something else. But that's definitely the first date to keep in mind. The second date that I tell students to think about is Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is just a good landmark. That is when I tell my students to get their applications in because 
Well, most transfer schools are going to make a decision maybe until December. Getting your application in by Thanksgiving, again, is just setting yourself up for the most success. You get an early admission decision, you get yourself in line for scholarships, all that kind of good stuff. So Thanksgiving is the second date. And then the third date I tell folks comes right after that is December 1st. A lot of scholarship deadlines that you're automatically enrolled in, the deadline is December 1st. And so you kind of want to, if you miss that Thanksgiving deadline, you want to keep December 1st in mind to then that's kind of your backup, get your application in, get that early decision, get yourself in line for those scholarships. Well, at the end of the day, you want to make sure that your your transfer process is, you know, you do stuff early enough because if you wait, we can still get you through. We'll still get you transferred. Schools will, t- will still accept you. They'll still take you. You'll still get a, a full schedule. But by sticking to your timeline, by getting that early decision, one, it takes the stress off of you as the student, which is good. But two, as you are preparing and thinking about, you know, where you're going to transfer, once you make that decision, registration for fall semester usually opens up in mid to late March. March. Yeah. And if you wait until June or July to apply and to register and to make those decisions, there's a chance that you may not get in all the classes you need for your major. There's a chance you might have all 8 a.m. classes or all night classes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. if that's your style, then then rock on. But I know I wanted to take my time and sleep in a little bit and but also be done with classes by 2 30 or 3. I don't know how it was for you Bridget. I know we're two different people uh but you know that's we just, are but I still didn't want an 8 a.m class yeah, so <laughs> nobody wants them uh so the sooner the better getting that stuff in so when I talk to students they're concerned they have three schools and they just don't know which one to apply to it's kind of that analysis paralysis right you have so many options and you just don't know what to do with it I always tell students apply now apply to all of them and then you can make up your mind in January in February it's a nice problem to have if you have already gone through the application process well, and really, I mean, I think a lot of times the barrier for students is, well, they don't want to play, pay that $30 application fee or, well, yeah, I, I kind of want to go to this school. I kind of want to go to this school. You know, that, that three options, like you said, you know, a lot of application fees are anywhere from 30 to 50, depending on, you know, if you're applying to Harvard, it's a heck of a lot more than that. You know, a quick plug for TRIO. What happens if you're a TRIO student and putting through applications, Bridget? If you're a TRIO student, we can get your application fee waived. And multiple fees waived. Yes. So, uh, so that's a great, a great perk of being a TRIO student is, is having that opportunity to, to get those fees waived so that you can apply to multiple schools. You can leave that door open. You'll know exactly what all the officer offers are going to be as far as scholarships, as far as financial aid and grants and loans. And to get all that information in front of you, black and white, is a heck of a lot better than trying to estimate it and figure it out on your own. And I would say even if you're not a TRIO student and you're concerned about paying for the application fee, go ahead and reach out to that admissions advisor at your, that transfer school and just maybe have the conversation, ask the question, because I, I tell my FYE students, it's really hard to turn down a human being. So if you reach out and say, hey, I'd love to come to this school, but I just can't pay this application fee. Or if you do a campus visit, sometimes on those days, they waive the application fee as well. Just go ahead and reach out. At least in our office, we always say, don't count yourself out. Let someone else tell you no. So it never hurts to actually just reach out and see what you can do. 
Yeah, I totally agree with you, Bridget. There's nobody, no school, especially state schools right now, they are hurting for students. They're hurting for applications. So they're not going to let $30 stand in the way of having a potential student pay them thousands of dollars by taking classes. So absolutely let them tell you no. Don't tell yourself no. It's worth a phone call. It's worth an email. That $30 is a barrier. Try to reach out and let them take that barrier away for you. Yeah. So I think one of the most important things for students to do in this process is visit too. I mean, applying to those schools is a big thing, but you have to visit. And I know it's going to be a little different this year. I know John Wood is doing visits for, for incoming freshmen or for, for transfer ins, but you know, there's some schools that are still closed down. There's some schools that their admissions offices are all working remotely right now. And I know there are plenty of virtual tours and I know that's how trio is handling their campus visits this year, but in a typical year, you definitely want to visit. You need to get to that school. You need to just get your feet on the ground, see how you feel on campus. Because I have visited schools where I just look around and I think, man, there's no way I could be here for two years. Uh, there's been other schools that I'm like, man, it just feels right. So getting there, getting your feet on the ground, letting, just letting that over that atmosphere, that environment kind of take you over and see how it feels. I know a visit is a lot of times very fluffed and they're showing you all the good stuff, but that's okay. Let them show you the good stuff because that's how, that's how you're gonna know if you're gonna be comfortable at that school or not. Don't ever make a decision to go somewhere without some sort of visit. Because if you register for classes and apply and you're going there, sign a lease on an apartment or a dorm and you're going there, you get there three days before classes and you go, holy crap. I can't be here. Then it sets everything else back. Go on a visit, go through that process. And again, a lot of times they'll have free applications that day on your visit or a free t-shirt or there's always good stuff. There's good reason to visit. Check out the local local eateries, if you will, Bridget. Eat local. And I, and I support <laughs> eating local. Uh, and I think that's, yeah, don't, don't go visit a school and then be like, oh, they have an Olive Garden. Let's yeah. go there. Go check out the local places because that's going to be the pulse of the town. That's going to be the pulse of the atmosphere that you're going to be in. So I think it's super important to check out the little bar food or the local Italian restaurant or barbecue place or, you know, what have you. So all of those things, the town, the school, all of that plays in what's around you, how far are you away from home, how far are you away from your nearest favorite attraction, that kind of stuff. You know, I went an hour away from home which was also an hour away, further away from Bush Stadium, which is like my favorite attraction, if you will. That didn't stop me. We made the three and a half hour drive multiple times there to a ball game and then back to school. Uh, don't tell my mom. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> mom, you knew. I've already texted her. <clears throat> Dang it. All of that stuff you have to think about. Because yeah, and I think that also plays into the timeline. You know, go ahead and apply now. Like Eric said, a lot of campuses aren't doing physical visits. I'm hoping in the spring that will change and they'll allow more groups of people onto campus. So go ahead and apply now and then you can always visit in the spring. Again, that's one of those beautiful options of, well, I applied, I got into three places in December, I visited them and now I can make my decision in February. Well, I think Bridget and I have given more information than maybe we even planned, but but it's something we're both passionate about. I was a transfer student myself, where I started at John Wood, transferred to Western Illinois University. So I have been through this process myself, which is an important thing to that. So it's something we're both passionate about. 
Next up, Bridget. It's everyone's favorite time. It is Eric's dad joke of the week. Okay, but does that mean it's for the whole week? Like you won't say another one? Uh, this is the only one that I'm saying on air. All right. You'll get more. Please no. So this is a this is a a story of two antennas. Two antennas met on a roof. Bridget, they fell in love so much in love that they decided to get married. The ceremony was not much, but you know what? The reception was great. Bridget, what do you call a cow with no legs? Ground beef. Mm-hmm. Ground beef. Mm-hmm. So that is Eric's dad jokes <laughs> of the week. I think we killed a student out in the cafeteria. <laughs> She's still laughing. <laughs> See, these dad jokes kill Bridget. You can't, you cannot stop me. Yes, they're killing me. Yes, you are right. <laughs> hey, Bridget, how about we talk a little bit about the upcoming schedule of events and what's happening as we you know, venture through September and a little bit of October. Let's do it, Eric. Let's go to the bulletin board. We have a financial wellness class on September 24th. Uh, We have our fantastic partnership with People's Prosperity Bank, and they're going to come in and just talk us through financial wellness, things that students need to be paying attention to, you know, monitoring their credit, building their credit, having a savings account, good information about certain loans and different stuff like that. I think financial wellness, uh, and again, it's something you live daily with, with TRIO because that's something that you guys work on, but it's so important to so many students and they don't get this information. We have a leadership conference from the ICSA group. It is a virtual conference. Illinois Community College Student Activities Association puts on a, a leadership conference for students every year. And John Wood's students started being a part of that last year. So this year being a virtual one, we're going to open it up to all John Wood students. And that will be on September 29th and the 30th. It's a two-day conference, both virtual. And I think there's even some fun stuff planned afterwards, all done virtually. But I think it's a great opportunity for, for John Wood students to go to a leadership conference that they may not normally get to because it's virtual this time. Next up, we have Donuts with the Dean, where we'll sit down and meet with our still new, she's just started in January. It seems like she's been here, you know, forever in this role. Uh, our, our Dean of, of Students, Tracy Orn. And that's just a great opportunity to, to sit down with the Dean of Students and just kind of talk about the pulse of campus and let them know your opinions. And again, what you want to see at John Wood is so cool and so important that they are including students in a yearly meeting with this. Uh, lastly, uh, we have our DNI listening session on October 8th. DNI being diversity and inclusion. I think it's a great opportunity just to, just to start that conversation with our students. We've started the conversation and having those healthy conversations with uh, with our staff and faculty, but to include students in this is the next important step. Here with us for our first guest of the day, we have Matt Bilgree. Matt is an admissions advisor in our admissions department. Welcome, Matt, to the Blazer Banter and your first appearance. Hopefully, will not be your last. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I've been dreaming about this day all my life. You know, a lot of people do dream to be on the show and, and to make it a reality for, for such a young pup like yourself. You know, it, it feels good and it's going to help me sleep. <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad I could be there too. Hey, so we're talking with Matt about some admissions events coming up. Matt, you want to talk us through Trailblazer Day? Just kind of let us know who should be coming to that. Yeah, uh, so Trailblazer Day is a visit opportunity for students and their families coming out to campus to talk to students 
you know, everything's been shut down the last six months and we want to just give students the opportunity to get out and about and um, start that college process. And what many students actually don't realize is that usually you want to start thinking about school pretty early in advance. If you don't, then that's okay. But usually about the, the fall of your senior year, even in junior year sometimes, you want to go out and visit those campuses to start getting an idea of what you might want to do in the future. So what can they expect at one of those uh, visit days? Yeah, so there's uh, general John Wood information that's going to be given out. You'll see campus. You'll also have an opportunity to sit down one-on-one -on -one with an admissions advisor and really get down to the nitty-gritty, I'd say, um, to figure out a plan to get you on your next step. Something we say here at John Wood is find your path. And some students' paths will be here for a year. Some students' path will be here for two years, maybe even three years. It all depends on where that student wants to go, and we can help you map that out to get you to that, that end goal, whether that's a career or a transfer school. We want to get you there, and we would love for John Wood to be a step of that. So, yeah, Trailblazer Day is coming up on October 2nd. This will be the first of a series of visit days or opportunities, I should say, for students to come out. We'll have them every other Friday. All right, that's Matt Bilgrey with the John Wood Admissions Office. Thanks so much, Matt, for coming on and, and helping us out. It's my pleasure to be here. So that is your bulletin board. All right, we are here with Andrew Hapcotty, Director of Retention and Advising. Thank, Thank you, Andy, for being here. Thank you for having me, Bridget. So we just want to kind of, the theme of this episode was uh, transferring. And so we just want to get your official talking points and advice that you have for students who are planning to transfer from John Wood. And actually, if you want to start with a little bit of your own story, I know you started as a student here at John Wood. Sure. So yeah, I did start as a student here at John Wood. Did two years. Uh, didn't quite complete an associate's degree. Transferred to uh, Illinois State University. And my experience here as a student was great. Also, too, my transfer experience was great. My story is uh, very similar to many students that we work with here in the office. I did not know what I wanted to do or where I wanted to transfer until very, very late in my time here at John Wood. I actually didn't know what I wanted to do my entire time here at John Wood. And so throughout that process, through my working with my academic advisor, one of the things that I really took from those experiences was how they worked with me to help me figure out what I did and most importantly at that time what I did not want to do. The advisor that I worked with was really, you know, since I, I wasn't sure where to go or what to do, they were like, well, what don't you like? Let's start there. And so we kind of worked backwards to forwards and I knew, you know, not strong science, not strong math, strong in writing, strong in reading. So they would make recommendations on things to take and I took those things and it worked out really well. As far as the transferring process goes, always highly encouraged to get an associate's degree when you transfer just because the, the associate's degree acts as a package where the four-year institutions can't really pick apart your credits. I did not do that. However, my courses, everything transferred. Again, that's not highly recommended to do the route that I did, but it is. It just goes to show too that, you know, transferability of courses at a, at a two-year community college, there's a lot of misconceptions about do or don't courses transfer. I've been working in this capacity for nine years, almost nine years. And in my experience here as a manager, as a director, I've never once experienced a course 
not transferring to a four-year school. Every single time it comes down to, you know, if you change your major midway through, or maybe you do a major while you're at the two-year school, but then you get to the four-year school and you decide to change your mind, the credits transfer. What's really, really important for students to understand is that, although I just mentioned my story, and I think the majority of students are like me and that they don't know what they want to do right away, it is extremely important to know what it is you want to do or have some kind of a direction and also where you want to go next. And those are really, really tough questions to answer for a brand new student, uh, but it helps, it's going to help you in the long run. It helps us to make sure that you're advised appropriately and that you have all the courses that you need to take for your specific major. Because in most cases, even though general education courses are required for all students, they can be different depending on what you want to major in. A business major is gonna have different gen eds to take than a psychology major. And so kind of knowing on the front end, what it is that you are interested in at the very, very least, or what you don't like at the very least is hugely helpful when working with an academic advisor to help you plan out what to do while you're here. So it all works for transferability purposes. If you would just kind of go a little more into detail about that, like you get a student in front of you, maybe this is the first or second time you're meeting, kind of walk us through that advising relationship. What are you doing with the student sure. and when? So the first time we meet with a student, or really any time we meet with a student, it can be the first time, it can be the eighth time, it doesn't really make much of a difference. We always start with the same thing is, if it's a first time student, do you have a major in mind? If the answer is yes, great, we start there. Do you have a transfer school in mind? If the answer is yes, we put those two things together, we immediately start researching what the four-year school wants. And for us, that's what's most important. It sounds kind of counterintuitive because we are John Wood Community College, we're a two-year school. Uh, we have requirements for our degrees, but we care about what the four-year school wants because that's what's gonna dictate what you do here. That's gonna dictate how much time you spend there if you don't do the right courses here. And so those are always the first things that we ask. Now, if the answers to those questions are no, so we ask you, what do you wanna major in? I don't know. So then you probably don't know where you want to transfer and that's fair too. Uh, we start by asking questions like, well, what, are, what did you excel at in high school? We look at your high school transcripts if you're a brand new student. We look at those grades, we'll ask you questions about your experiences in those courses, um, you know, what your ex work experience is like if you have any, uh, what you like about those experiences try to narrow down or at least give you a good jumping off point for you know some basic courses that everybody are going to need but at the same time maybe some things that you've never tried before to get your to get your experiences broader or your mind broader with what's what's possible to do and sometimes it takes some time to figure that out you know it doesn't just always happen and click with your first semester's worth of courses but that's generally where we start now the second meeting the third meeting it's always pretty much the same it's Hello, so-and-so, you're back. Are you still undecided and or are you still planning to major in this thing? If you are still planning to major in that thing, are you still planning to transfer to this institution? Or again, have you decided on a major or have you decided on a transfer institution? Sometimes the answer is no, sometimes the answer is yes. And we basically just take it from that point, whatever the answer is, if it's still no, we ask you the same questions, we see what's changed, we see what you like about the courses that you've taken, what you didn't like, and we just kind of continue to broaden your horizons. And I think that's something I talk to my students a lot about is, 
you know, they're worried about wasting their time, taking a class that's a waste of time. But I always tell them it's going to transfer. It might transfer as an elective, but you're still going to get credit for it. And even beyond that, you're experience, experiencing something new, you're learning something new, you're finding out whether you do or you don't like this subject, or even the instructor. I mean, if you're learning a different learning style or teaching style, I think there's still some value in that. I know that's a hard lesson, uh -huh. and that sounds very pie in the sky, uh -huh. but I think students, no matter what, can learn something exactly. from the classes they take. Yeah, I agree with that 100% too. And it's important for students to know and understand that going to college and going through this experience at a two-year school or four-year school, uh, the transfer process, you know, the learning doesn't just happen with the books and the classes and the homework and the exams. It's what you just mentioned is, you know, if you don't know what you want to do, you may take a class that you've never heard of, but that teacher that you work with teaches in such a way that, you know, just makes you look at things in a different light or makes you look at a subject in a different way that you've never looked at it before. And, and those are the kinds of things that students don't think about going into it that can really, really broaden your mind and open your eyes to things that you've never really thought of before. Uh, learning happens in the classroom, obviously, but it's happening outside the classroom too, even with an academic advisor, trio advisor, anybody that you encounter here at John Wood or your four-year institution, it's, it's really, really important to make as many connections as you can because the more connections that you make, the more feedback you're going to receive about what's possible, what's not possible, um, and it's really going to help you kind of hopefully figure out what to do next. We've kind of talked about the, the traditional path with students coming in and kind of starting as a blank slate. Is there anything different for students who are coming back to school after a while and they're maybe transferring in some credits? Is there anything different in that respect or is it pretty much the same playbook no matter what? It can be a little bit different for students that transfer back to John Wood with credits or students with dual credit. It really depends on the student and their respective situation because some students may have you know two classes that they did as dual credit students in high school or maybe they went to a four-year school for a semester or a year and they're transferring back a year's worth of coursework the conversations are still the same but the variables are different because you're working with a student that has credit already in place mm -hmm. and so the same things apply but it will differ depending on the student if a transfer student comes back with a lot of credit hours it's even more important for that student to know what it is they want to do and where they want to go next because they've got less time here to finish what they need. And so we've had situations where students majored in business at a four-year school for a year and transferred back, but now they want to do psychology. That's probably a pretty easy switch. The courses are all going to work out, but there's just only so many things that you need left to do. And our goal here at John Wood Community College and the advising office is it's really twofold. With every student we work with, we're worried about two things and they are what's most time sensitive and what's cost sensitive. We do not want you to spend any more time taking courses with us than you absolutely have to because if you spend, you know, two and a half semesters here and you, you know, taking courses that you didn't need, that's going to mean once you transfer to four-year school, there could be more time depending on, you know, depending on whatever it was that you did or the decisions that you made. Again, going back to why a major is so important because 
the sooner that we know that, the sooner that we can get you in and out of here in enough time to transfer and try and be done in a total of four years with a bachelor's degree because college is not cheap. So, <laughs> and it is not getting cheaper. No, it's not. And so that's why we emphasize this stuff so much is because it's, it's, it's what we feel is in the best interest of everybody, especially in these times where money is not falling off of trees. Just a couple questions, then I'll let you get back onto your day. First, this is just a question that kind of popped into my head. Do we offer any sort of credit for outside experience, like say military credit or something like that? Yeah, we do actually. So military credit is something that we offer credit for, uh, for students. So if you've been in active duty, there's obviously many, several different things that you could have done that would allow you to get credit towards your associate's degree. Almost every single veteran I've ever worked with coming in has gets credit for something, usually electives, but uh, some, come, some come in with more than others. Another thing that we have too is what we call um, credit for prior learning. So if you happen to, you know, maybe you're a traditional student, maybe you're not a, a non-traditional student, but you have um, worked in a certain industry for a long period of time, there are um, prior learning credit exams that you can take that are less expensive than the cost of tuition per credit hour. So most of our courses are three credit hour courses, $163 per credit hour for an in-district student. Um, so you do the math on that. I don't have a calculator in front of me. I can't tell you what it is. I think 479 per class. Let's call it that. That sounds right. I was a history major. I don't do math. So. <laughs> but so the credit for prior learning, if you have any kind of relevant experience that would equate to the courses that are required for your degree, there are exams that you can take that you have to pay for, but they're only $35 per credit hour. So that's, again, something to inquire about because if you fall into that category, again, our goal is always the same. What's going to save you time? What's going to save you money? And that is a huge money saver if it applies to you. Those are the two main things that we've got. No, that's awesome. And I think that those are the military credits probably the most popular, but the credit for prior learning uh, the Illinois Community College Board, which is oversees all the community colleges in the state, two years ago just implemented the credit for prior learning policy for community colleges to use for their hmm. students. So, so that's still pretty new. Very much so. Last question. We've kind of covered the advising part of your job, but like I said, you're the director of retention and in, in advising. Is there anything on the retention side that you want to talk about? or? Yeah, absolutely. Like uh, students... New students coming in, that's part of the conversation that we have to, you know, our, our main focus in a conversation with every student, every meeting, especially the first time as major, uh, transfer school, what it is that you want to take, those kinds of things. But the ends of the conversation for a brand new student usually consists of, okay, this is what to expect. We'll help you get things set up, your email, let you know what, uh, what our system looks like for online classes, and then retention. Is, is very important too because uh, it, it, it can blindside some students if they don't know what to expect but yes half of what we do involves retaining students so one thing that we really value here at John Wood is we want to keep the students that we've got here and so one of the things that we use is a system called Starfish. Starfish is a system that allows faculty and staff to communicate more efficiently about students that may be having issues in the class. 
So when students get in here, we explain what that is. We let them know that, hey, if you have any struggles, you know that you can reach out to us. But if your faculty members realize, you know, if you're missing class or missing assignments, they're going to raise what we call a flag. That flag is going to come back to the academic advisor and or the trio advisor you work with, anybody that you're connected here at the institution. So if you're on scholarship, you're involved in SGA, it could go to Eric Foster, our coordinator of student life. Uh, if you're an athlete, it could go to the director of athletics. Again, Bridget, your trio advisor, it's going to go to her. If I'm your primary academic advisor, it's going to come to me. Your connections here at the college are going to be notified by your faculty member that you're struggling, and we will reach out to you and try and talk to you, figure out what's going on. If there's life circumstances or something along those lines, we want to help you try and figure it out so you can be successful here at the college. That for me is arguably one of the most important things because again, time, money, we don't want you to waste your time. We don't want you to waste your money. We want you to stay on track. We want you to be successful. And so that's why we have implemented the retention side of things here on campus is to make sure that the students that we've got are successful in whatever it is that they're trying to pursue. Student success, Student number success, one. That's right. I like it. Thank you again, Andrew Hapcotty, Director of Retention and Advising. Next up, it's everyone's favorite section, extra credit. As always, please kick it off. What is your extra credit for the week? My extra credit, and I am super excited about this, is four words. G, B, B, O. I know what you're saying. Those aren't words. Let those me. Are, those are letters, Bridget. I know. I'm, a, I'm an academic professional. For those of you who don't know, GBBO, Great British Bake Off is back baby it is baking competition show and i know i've lost some of you but just hang on it started over in the uk obviously british is in the name but it started 10 years ago in 2010 the show takes 10 to 13 amateur bakers and they compete each week with one being eliminated until it comes down to the final three and then they pick the winner there are three challenges every episode. The first is a signature bake, which is something that the bakers have practiced and they make this for their families. And there's usually a lovely little story that goes along with it. And then the second bake is the technical. And this one kills everyone because it comes from the judges and the bakers get instructions that basically say, bake this. And then they have to figure out how to do it. And then the last challenge is the showstopper challenge. And this is the one where the bakers pull out all the stops and they make a huge monstrosity. Someone, I think one year, made like a bicycle out of bread. It's incredible. The judges for the show are Paul Hollywood, and he's basically the Simon Cowell of bread. He gives out handshakes, which used to be pretty rare, but in my humble opinion, he has started to give them out a little too frequently. I think he's just trying to get the ratings, but you know, that's just my opinion. Then there's Mary Berry. She's the greatest critiquer of the soggy bottoms. We don't want that in baking, in case you didn't know. No soggy bottoms. Well, then I don't think you want a soggy bottom in life either. True. Mary Berry, laying down the truths. The show switched stations over in... BBC World, and so Mary Berry got replaced by Prue Leith, she of the wild glasses and necklaces, and she enjoys a tipple, as they say, 
over in England. She likes her drinks. So if you're on the show, make Peru something with alcohol in it, and you're going to get probably a good, good score. The hosts of the show are the original hosts were comedian Sue Perkins of the amazing Blazer and Converse collection and Mel, and I'm going to butcher this last name, Gadrick? Gadrick. I don't know. All I know about Mel is she never looks the same. Every episode, anything else she's in, it takes me 10 minutes to recognize her. That's what I know about Mel. Much like Mary Berry was replaced, the two hosts were replaced when the show switched stations. So they were replaced in 2017 by Noel Fielding, who's also a comedian. He's basically known for being a tall goth. And the second host is Sandy Toxvig, who's short, but she's able to pronounce everything. That's kind of what stands out. She speaks all these different languages and stuff. It's kind of amazing. There are eight seasons on Netflix currently. We are missing seasons one and two from the UK. I'm not sure why. There are also holiday episodes. And in case you haven't gotten enough, there's also masterclass episodes where Paul Hollywood and Mary Berry walk you through and explain how to make some of these bakes. And they show you just why they were the judges of the Great British Bake Off. I'm super excited. It comes back September 25th, one episode a week. It comes to Netflix in the US three days after it's on TV in the UK. So we get it once a week on Friday, starting September 25th. You know where I'll be. You know, my my wife is also excited for this to come back. She has watched all the seasons on, on Netflix. And I think... Uh, you know, I've, so I've not watched it myself. Not because I'm against it. I just have not had the opportunity. The few episodes that I sat and caught bits and pieces of with Kristen, you're right. The level of kindness is unreal. And maybe, I'm going to say it, maybe it's because we're Americans and we're not used to kindness. But the level of kindness that they show on that show in a competition at that is really just unmatched. And it's almost just a little heartwarming to see like, they're the, it's not like, you know, again, I'm American and I'm very, very proud to be an American, but we're more like a pat, 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 sorry you lost, bud, but I'm still in, so move along. There it's like, you got voted off. Are you sure? Do, do you want me to take your spot of being voted off and you can stay on the show? Like, they're just so kind. So many of these contestants after the show, they are, they go visit each other. Like, you can see on their social media that after the competition is over, and these are folks who didn't even win, and they're just, they just go and hang out with each other, and some of them live, live in the same town, or they go travel. It's, it is. Heartwarming is a good, good word for it. Dare I say, we could learn a lesson or two in kindness, and in baking, and in soggy bottoms, all from just a TV show. My extra credit for the week is just a good old barbecue story. You know, everybody loves barbecuing, and I, Bridget, you love barbecuing. You are everybody. I'm everybody. We are everybody. Okay, let me take a step back then. Everybody likes to eat barbecue food, save the vegetarians, but there's still got to be barbecue options. I don't, a large amount of people like barbecue, Bridget, and I just want to talk a bit about my favorite thing, to smoke and barbecue myself, as well as give you three really fantastic places and my favorite place to go for barbecue. Uh, and that is St. Louis. And I may even give you a couple because it's extra credit. I might give you a few 
extra places around that I've had fantastic luck with. My go-to is always pulled pork. That's how I judge a place off of their, you know, their flavorings, their, the way that they smoke their meat. So my favorite thing to, to smoke myself is just a good old 10 pound pork butt. Pork shoulder is another term for it. It's not actually the gluteus maximus. It is just a term, pork butt. <clears throat> so I, I like to obviously to smoke it low and slow. I use a mixture of hickory and apple wood pellets in my pellet grill. Some people like to use just one or the other or have their own. I choose to get a bag of each, mix it together so that we have a, you know, a few flavors popping through. I'm not going to give you uh, any type of like sauce or seasoning to use because really it's just up to you to try different stuff. I have so many different seasonings, so many different rubs. My barbecue sauce collection has, I think my wife said it's out of hand. It takes up a whole door shelf on the, on the refrigerator, so... Anyway, I'm not going to give you any, any suggestions on how to use that. But what I like to do is I do about an hour and a half or two hours per pound for your pork butt uh, and just have to kind of check it and monitor it to see how long you need to go. My, I'm going to give my secret, Bridget, and I, I don't often give my secret ingredient. My secret ingredient is pineapple. And Bridget, we've talked about pineapple and, and you even helped me understand why I like to use the pineapple so much and what it does to my meat. Pineapple <coughs> is the fruit that eats you back. I forget the specific name of whatever acid is in pineapple, but it breaks down protein. So that's why it makes your meat tender. So secret ingredient is pineapple, pineapple juice. So I like to take my pork butt, put it in a big bowl and let it sit in pineapple juice for a few hours or even overnight, depending on, uh, let's be honest, I never probably actually take enough time to prepare it. I'm usually like, Ooh, I should smoke a pork butt. Let's get it out of the freezer. And then by the time it thaws out, I'm ready to, to get it on the smoker. So anyway, hour and a half to two hours at, at about 250 to 300. Uh, again, depending on how, if you need to cook it quick, you can go a higher temperature, the lower the temperature, the longer, obviously it's going to take, but also the more tender the meat's going to be. So I let it sit in that pineapple juice so that it can start to break some of those uh, proteins down. And I, and I don't say that to make fun of Bridget. I said it because she taught me that. And I have used that, and now I understand why. But then uh, with about two or three hours left of, of smoking, I take actual like chunks of pineapple and sit it on top of my, my pork butt so that the juices kind of soak into it so that it can continue to not only give it that sweet flavor, but also uh, hopefully help to break some, some of that down a little bit so that when I go to shred it and make it into pulled pork, it is very easy to pull apart. It is succulent. It is juicy, moist. I'll use all the words for all the people, but I love a good pulled pork. And dare I say, my Hawaiian pulled pork is some of the best out there. And I would put it up against many, many people. But not these three. My three favorite places in uh, St. Louis are, in, in this order, Bridget, number three, Salt and Smoke. Uh, Salt and Smoke has a couple different uh, locations. And it's just, it's a good barbecue place. They have good outdoor seating. And I think I've only ate at one location, which is downtown-ish in the loop, I think. Second, Sugar Fire. Sugar Fire, again, has multiple locations. I've only eaten at one location. Uh, so Sugar Fire, again, top-notch barbecue, good, good portions, good flavor, very good. Number one, my number one favorite barbecue in St. Louis is Pappy's Smokehouse. And if you have not had Pappy's, I highly recommend it. And I will give you my order. And if you would like to replicate it, I would encourage you to do so. 
my order, of course, is a pulled pork sandwich. Just standard pulled pork. For those of you that know me, there is no added vegetables or coleslaw or none of that stuff. Meat and sauce and bread. There's nothing else you need. Here's your two sides you get, Bridget. You get their fried corn on the cob. I know. Have you ever had corn nuggets, the, the appetizer corn nuggets? It is literally like, it's not, it's not breaded. It's just corn on the cob, but it tastes like corn nuggets. So good. Second, sweet potato fries. Now, these are not just any old sweet potato fries. When you see fries being made almost anywhere, you see them then being tossed in, in salt. Pappy's takes it up to the next level. They toss it in brown sugar. And my gosh, they are just so good. Again, the portions are, are very good, and the food is just amazing. I hope to get back there soon. I've only, I've only ever eaten there five or six times, so uh, <laughs> it was up to me to be a lot more. But, man, Pappy Smokehouse, tell them I sent you, and they'll say, who's that? Extra credit by Bridget and Eric, so go eat some good barbecue, or you can even try some of mine if you're ever lucky enough. All right. Well, that is the end of episode four of Blazer Banter. Thanks so much for joining us. Again, please subscribe to, uh, to the podcast so that you get uh, the new episodes uh, downloaded every other Wednesday as we get these uploaded. Feel free to reach out to us. Bridget, how can they get a hold of us? They can definitely email us at blazerbanter at jwcc.edu. All right, so feel free to subscribe. Reach out if you have any suggestions, if there's anything you want us to talk about. I'm Eric Foster with Johnwood Community College and the Blazer Banter and my co-host. Bridget Quinlivan. Thank you so much for stopping in the Blazer Banter. We look forward to seeing you back here in a couple weeks for episode five. Goodwill towards your fellow human being.